Last June, Toronto's celebrity and social circles were buzzing. There was some drama afoot. In a summer of racial reckoning across the world, two influencers were having a reckoning of their own. Sasha Exeter, who is Black, brought attention to the way that Jessica Mulroney's public persona didn't quite line up with her private interactions. Jessica Mulroney is an heir to the Brown Shoes Empire, a Canadian shoe company for international listeners. She is more famously known as being Meghan Markle's best friend. She is also married to Ben Mulroney, the son of former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. Exeter said that Mulroney threatened her brand partnerships via message because she felt personally attacked by Exeter asking influencers to do more to stop racism. Exeter had receipts, and she shared them on social media. After Mulroney publicly apologized to Sasha for any hurt that she caused, she sent Sasha a private message threatening to sue her for libel. Guess what? Sasha shared these on social media too. And the backlash against Jessica Mulroney came swiftly. She quickly lost many, many brand deals and had to take a step back from public life shutting down her social media, and hiring a PR agency. Ooh, today is a good one, folks. We are talking about cancel culture. There has been a lot of discussion on this topic over the years, and we've kind of brought it up in a few episodes on this podcast. It's become so politicized, but it is such a juicy topic, so we are going to dive into it today. I'll start by saying that I am here for cancel culture. It's a way for people to be held accountable for the offensive things that they say and do. I think the term has lost some of its effect, especially since it's thrown around so casually, not always being applied to topics around social justice or any of the isms, racism, sexism, ableism, etc. What once felt like a powerful way to strike fear into people in positions of power now feels like something cheap. We're going to talk about some examples of celebrities and well-known people who have been quote-unquote cancelled, such as J.K. Rowling, Kevin Hart, Paula Dean, and more. So, let's get into it. This is the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast. So, what is cancel culture? Well, there's a few definitions. The definition that we are using is that cancel culture is commonly referred to as the phenomenon of frequent public pylons criticizing a person, business, movement, or an idea. Dr. Meredith D. Clark, a professor of media studies at the University of Virginia, describes cancel culture as, in quotations, an expression of agency, a choice to withdraw one's attention from someone or something whose values, inaction or action, or speech are so offensive, one no longer wishes to grace them with their presence, time, and money. Cancel culture does feel like a more modern phenomenon, but it's not really new. Ways people have been canceled throughout history include gossip, vigilantism, and more recently, digital activism. They've been present for a long time. Canceling someone for something that they said or did has been around as long as people have lived in social groups. There are unwritten and written norms for how we're supposed to behave with other people. So when these rules are broken, someone is usually going to let you know. There isn't a clear history of cancel culture, but we can reflect on different aspects of its development over time. 
Some trace the terminology of cancellation to Black American 1991 film New Jack City. You're a murderer, Nino! I've seen you kill too many people, Nino! Cancel it! I'll buy it. So in that clip, a character uses the term of canceling a girlfriend, dumping or breaking up. This quote actually resurged in 2009-2010 when the rapper Lil Wayne referred to this line specifically from New Jack City. And then we saw this line, this idea of being canceled, coming up again in Love and Hip Hop New York in 2014, and it made its way into Black Twitter, signifying the removal of somebody from your life. Other people note that cancel culture has roots in 2010-era Tumblr blogs. In particular, a blog called Your Face is Problematic, discussing why stars are imperfect, and then this grew in prominence on Black Twitter in 2016 to 2017. Interestingly, Google Trends show that there was little to no search interest in cancel culture until the second half of 2018 and the early half of 2019. Around this time, there were some fleeting cancellations. People like Taylor Swift, Kanye West, and Logan Paul for different reasons. And of course, there have been previous acts of collective action related to canceling, such as blacklisting and boycotting, but these are limited in scope, with factors such as structural power and resources largely determining how much somebody is canceled, and we'll talk about this as well. But in the early years, canceling and cancel culture was aligned with the history of dragging, calling out, and reading, which is prominent language that is used in Black queer communities. Dr. Clark suggests that canceling a person, place, or thing is socially mediated phenomena with origins in queer communities of color. She also insists that the term has since been taken up by journalists who are really trying to amplify the white gaze and has turned cancel culture into a political cultural debate of moral panic for politicians, pundits, celebrities, academics, and more. Dr. Clark also argues that being canceled is a designation usually reserved for celebrities, brands, and otherwise out-of-reach figures and should be read as a last-ditch appeal for justice. Calling someone out has been mistaken for Twitter's mob mentality, but it's really a measure of community management, emerging out of practices from Black circles. Further on this point, the language and meaning behind cancel culture has been seized upon in political conversation, especially by right-wing pundits, who use cancel culture as a war on conservative ideologies, where they say right-leaning folks are primarily targeted. I don't have to tell you that this is false. Folks from across the spectrum are targeted when it comes to cancel culture. Some other people think that cancel culture doesn't exist, that it's fabricated by conservatives in order to monitor debates in ongoing culture wars that are plaguing societies in the West. A Canadian writer named Sarah Hagee writes that cancel culture as described by many critics doesn't really exist. She argues that cancel culture doesn't affect all victims equally and that marginalized groups and minorities continue to experience acts similar to cancellation every single day on social media or in their everyday lives that peril the travails denounced by critics of cancel culture. Again, on the other side, others argue that cancel culture is going too far and that we as a society 
can't engage in divergent thoughts and opinions because if we say the wrong thing or the unpopular opinion or belief that we're going to be labeled as sexist or racist or homophobic and ultimately be canceled. Despite positive intentions, people point to cancel culture as a negative movement. Some suggest that consequences are just too harsh for minor instances or they represent rushed judgments in complicated situations. And we have seen examples of this. A professor of emerging media at University of Quebec named Dr. Hervé Saint-Louis said that the core elements of contemporary culture is that, quote unquote, cancel culture exists because organizations, such as employers, weigh the risk to their reputations when partaking in cancellation. He goes on to note, that complaints against cancel culture and denials about its existence tend to ignore the processes that lead to cancellation, the active proponent in cancel culture. Activists do not fire transgressing individuals. Organizations, such as employers, board of directors, and state authorities, are the only one who can sanction an individual. So what he's saying is that organizations and institutions, at the end of the day, are able to decide who is cancelled and who is redeemed. Essentially, the tangible cancellation of someone is actually enacted by a third-party agency that gets to enforce social and moral norms when they decide to disassociate from a shamed individual. And these third parties hold power to influence a person to either resign or apologize or or something else. And this is a really important point. Cancel culture and cancellations are not doled out equally. Not everyone who gets canceled faces the same kind of consequences as those with power and privilege. Think about a story of someone who's been canceled. Were they a celebrity? Did they disappear to never return again? Probably not because celebrities are much less impacted by cancel culture. If you have a good public relations team on your side, make a public apology and disappear for a little while, you're probably going to be fine. This is not often the case for the average citizen who doesn't have these support systems in place for them and have to manage their mental and physical toll of being canceled all on their own. So to the earlier point about what cancel culture actually looks like to people, we're going to talk about a few examples of celebrities who were canceled. The first example that we're going to talk about is Kevin Hart. He faced intense online backlash in the fall of 2018 when homophobic tweets of his resurfaced after he was chosen to host the 2019 Oscars. A number of different people and celebrities and comedians came to defend Kevin Hart, who said that he shouldn't be judged based on a statement that he made many years ago. In the end, he decided to step down from the hosting gig and refused to issue another apology. He later blamed cancel culture for this entire thing. Though much of the media attention was critical of Hart, it's not like he's just disappeared forever. He's since found wide-ranging career success in movies and television, so he hasn't really been canceled. Another example of somebody being quote-unquote canceled is Paula Deen. In 2013, Paula Deen was sued by the former general manager of her restaurant, Uncle Bubba's Seafood and Oyster House, which she owned alongside her brother. In the lawsuit, 
Dean was accused of racial discrimination and her brother was accused of sexual harassment. In her deposition, Paula Dean admitted to using the N-word and admitted to expressing her hope that her brother would experience a genuine Southern Plantation wedding, reminiscent of the full antebellum or post-antebellum era when essentially Black people waited on white people. The lawsuit was dismissed, but Food Network, Walmart, Target, Sears, Kmart, and a number of other companies had already cut ties with her. Other horrendous things that she did included making an employee dress like Aunt Jemima and calling another employee my little monkey. So if you'll remember, Paula Dean disappeared for a little while, but after the scandal, she was able to raise $75 million for her private company from a private investment firm who bought the rights to her Food Network shows and began to stream them on her own subscription platform. Since then, Paula Dean has been a contestant on Dancing with the Stars, and she's been a judge on MasterChef Legends. So, hasn't really been canceled. Oof, this one is recent, but Bill Cosby. In 2018, he was sentenced to three to ten years in a state prison for allegedly drugging and sexually assaulting former Temple University employee Andrea Constant in 2004. Cosby served about three years of his sentence, Now, there are over 50 alleged victims from over the course of 40 years who have spoken out against Cosby. In his deposition for the Constant case, the comedian admitted pursuing sex with young women with the aid of quaaludes, which can render a person functionally immobile. He admitted this. In the aftermath, I mean, he was released on a technicality just a few weeks ago. In April of 2018, In a scorched earth defense strategy, Cosby's attorneys banked on the backlash of the Me Too movement, describing it in their closing arguments as a mob mentality, and that he was essentially being canceled, that he was being lynched, that the Me Too movement against him was witch hunts, and that this was just a case of McCarthyism. He's out of jail and is planning a return to stand-up comedy on a tour. And he also has a docu-series in the works about his life and his legacy and his trial. It's shocking to think about it. One more example, somebody who was quote-unquote, a celebrity who was quote-unquote cancelled, J.K. Rowling's. She supported and posted a number of transphobic tweets on the internet a few years ago. And this is one of those examples where individual cancellation doesn't equal systemic or institutional cancellation. Because after these transphobic tweets, a number of people tried to stay away from her, didn't necessarily want to be, didn't want to appear close to her, but she was being called out by a number of people from the trans community and their allies for the transphobia. Very clear transphobia that she was putting out on the internet. And despite this, there was no effect on her position with her publishers or with any kind of movie deals with Warner Brothers that were in the works. In fact, her publisher banned its staff from boycotting J.K. Rowling's. So she was protected by her publisher in the wake of these transphobic remarks that had been made. So another example of how Although someone is technically being cancelled for something that they did or said, there are sometimes people who are in positions of power who are protected from really feeling a full sense of being called out. 
the No Nonsense Anti-Racism team came together to sit down and discuss cancel culture and their personal thoughts on it. So you're going to hear from two of our fabulous team members who are always doing so much amazing work behind the scenes. I wanted to bring them on the episode this time to talk about their thoughts on this topic. Jade Sullivan is a Black feminist geographer and intersectional activist currently learning, loving, and living on unceded and unsurrendered Mohawk territory, also known as Montreal. Having recently completed her Bachelor of Geography and Women's Studies at the University of Ottawa, she is pursuing a master's at Queen's University in Gender Studies. She currently works as the social media manager for No Nonsense Podcast. Beverly Osazua is an avid learner and passionate researcher of identity politics and African mobilization. A recent Master's of Arts graduate from Queen's University's Political and Legal Thought Program, Beverly joined the No Nonsense team excited to educate people through innovative and engaging mediums. When she's not researching, she's learning to play her baritone ukulele. And we are going to jump into this conversation with the No Nonsense Anti-Racism team on cancel culture after this short break. We are so, so grateful to have the support of you, the listener. One way that you can support the No Nonsense Anti-Racism podcast is if you could write us a review. It would mean the world to us. You can write a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts, mostly on Apple and Google. So please take just a few minutes out of your day to write a review. Also get in touch with us if you have any feedback. Our contact information is in the show notes. Also follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. I have the wonderful Beverly Osuzua and Jade Sullivan joining on this conversation. It was really something that I've wanted to talk about, especially like with other people about what cancel culture is and its effect on society and people. So really happy to have both of them joining on the call. Hi, Jade. Hi, Beverly. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Good. You guys have been doing so much work in the background and have been a part of all of the conversations on anti-racism that we're having, but I haven't had you on the podcast yet and it was about time. I think we have a lot of like expertise in the background. However, we don't really talk much. (laughs) My name is Jade. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a recent graduate of U Ottawa and new student at Queen's University. I'm studying my gender studies, studying gender studies for my master's. I am the social media manager at No Nonsense Podcast. So all the little social media is all me. (laughs) And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I am Beverly Osazua. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a recent Queens graduate from the political and legal thought program. So that was a cool thing, just thinking about thinking. And uh, I have a BA in humanities. And I'm also the researcher and writer for No Nonsense Podcast. So it's great to have the both of you joining on this conversation. Curious to hear what your thoughts are, I imagine. We probably have similar thoughts on this, but I am going to play devil's advocate and ask a few questions that kind of get us into a different direction at times. So first question, what does cancel culture mean to you? How do you define cancel culture? Mm, I'm going to let Beverly take the reins on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thinking about that question, I think there's like two directions. So there's what I think cancel, cancel culture is, is essentially the call for accountability from someone who has broken a social norm or or done something wrong 
it's usually relating to like celebrity, a brand, or a major concept. And it's demanding some form of, of justice to be done. However, I think what people commonly associate cancel culture to be is the like dogpiling, doxing, tearing down of someone's reputation for like alleged trans transgressions. Yeah, I think um, like running off of your point, exactly that. Like it is like the accountability of like major or powerful I don't know what you say concepts, but people also. But I think it's also like a political movement within itself, kind of. I think it slowly has become like skewed away from what it initially was. But I think in, it is like a political movement to keep people accountable for their actions. And like not even social norms, just being like, harmful, like just being a poor individual <laughs> at heart. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if like you've actually done something completely wrong or you just have like skewed views. Sometimes people need to be held accountable. So I think... You know, one thing I was thinking of relating to that is whether it can be classified as a movement versus a phenomenon. And I think I relate it more to a phenomenon. There's no one singular, not that a movement can be decentralized, but there's never like a, a certain faces I associate it with. Sometimes it peeps through in other movements, like we saw it peep through in, in uh, the Me Too movement, but it kind of runs by its own fuel. I think it, it kind of spills out into like a just a phenomenon that we see across different sectors tying to the same thing. And to your point, it's been around for a long time. Like it's not it hasn't necessarily been called cancel culture for all the years of, of existence that it's been in. But it's been like public shaming or a way for people to hold others accountable for not necessarily adhering to society's norms. So it's been called different things throughout time. But it's not necessarily a movement because it's been around for so long. And it did essentially start with like black Twitter. Maybe the the vocabulary of cancel culture started with black Twitter. And to your point, has been used for so many different other canceling of people based on like transphobia, racism, sexism, misogyny. So yeah, to your point, it's it's more I mean, than can't that be a political movement because you're poli- like I feel like okay, and I am devil's advocate sometimes, <laughs> but like I think like it can be classified as political movement. I think one, I'm also very a person who doesn't like believe in like construction of things to be valid. So like I don't care. Like I don't think that it needs to have like a certain structure, hierarchy, or even like a representation to be a movement. However, recently I see that it is now a a social accountability of like, especially in the young individuals to keep people who are constantly distrusting society or going against the social norms, as we like to say, of society. And it's holding them accountable because before we never did, we knew they were being bad. We knew they did things before and we're just like, yeah, okay, we'll just like let it slide on the road. But now it's like a movement where you're holding such people of such higher stature, especially at your own level as like a civilian, a citizen, not having that much power like being able to hold these people accountable for their actions because usually it's like the judge or like a higher power criminal court who can keep these people accountable but now it's us making like a social movement that even if you have your position still even if you still continue to what you're doing i will not give you the power in the reign so i don't understand how it is just like a not like a phenomenon or just like a thing that does pop up in a lot of movements but i think within itself it is like a social accountability of people just being like hey we're not gonna let this slide anymore but again always been around i just like the. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i definitely i definitely see what you're saying but even there it's like who who are the actors in the movement i think it's it's used by both all spectrums yeah sometimes you'll see someone who's further left getting docs sometimes you'll see someone who's further right 
And even in that, when we talk about, that's why I think there's like two variations of the definition, how it's commonly used versus what we would think it is. Because is there any real accountability attached to it? We can list several examples where maybe there's like a scandal at first, but the person who is so and called to be held to account, they aren't really. And so there's elements of power relations that hinder actual accountability to happen. So is like, is the like movement part of it having to have like an actual political or like social accountability? Because if that's like, if that is it, then yeah, cancel culture kind of is a phenomenon. But I think you can't expect the people who have the power to like bring the rain down on themselves. You know, they're not gonna, you can't expect like, um, I can't like Harvey Weinstein. He's a millionaire. He's never a billionaire at that in the ju- like judges, the criminal court system, they knew him, they loved him. So they're never going to bring the rain down on him. Accountability is not going to happen there. Like, forms of justice or something like that however accountability took place where people would not support him anymore people he lost connections cancel culture can't i think especially like with the modern cancel culture we have is not more so about like the political action towards it like saying like we make made a change like this person goes to jail like he's bill cosby went to jail for five minutes and he came back out you know like that's not the strength that i think that the people who run it and this is the people for me are the political actors are like people like black twitter like the young advocates who are always saying like we're not going to let that stand anymore and I think like they don't have the power to be accountable, but I think our system was never made in a way to make them accountable. So like they never will be, you know, unless the system, we have anarchy, <laughs> we flip it all around. But I don't know, but I completely understand where you're coming from. Like there is no direct guideline. To them. Yeah. I think it's like, if there's no orientation and no one's actually held accountable yeah. in a meaningful, tangible way, then it's not really doing anything. It's just like a, it's just a show but there's nothing happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely one of the criticisms of cancel culture is that it does feel, I mean, especially with technology, like it is very easy to bully and to dox people, but what does redemption look like? What does accountability look like in, in a very, very real sense? Unfortunately, a lot of that gets left behind. It's not necessarily about ac- accountability for, for every situation anyway. It's not for every context. My second question, but I think I already got a sense of this, <laughs> was around like, are you in support of cancel culture? Are you a fan of of cancel culture? And it feels like people are on either side supporting it or the side that says absolutely not. It doesn't necessarily feel like there's any middle ground, but curious to hear what you both think. I definitely think there's a middle ground. <laughs> I, I would say I'm, I'm in the middle ground. I am in support of accountability, but I just don't, I don't think that the way we see cancel culture as people deem it to unfold. I don't think that that is what ac- what we actually gain. And I think cancel culture, when people talk about it, they see one perception of like, oh my gosh, maybe like Paula Dean do- is, doesn't have a show anymore. But now she's, she's a judge on like Master Chef Legend. So it's like, even when people bring up examples of, oh, this person is canceled, Kevin Hart, he's always talking about how cancel culture ruined my career then why do you have a show on why do you have a new movie on netflix yeah so it's like i don't think that it exists in the way that some people present it or people who identify themselves as victims of cancel culture present it but i think that the demand for accountability for their actions and their harms is is a serious one and then that should be supported yeah i definitely agree with you like there's a, a middle ground for me personally. Like I'm not completely in love with the idea and the concept of it because I think it became a little bit, not fabricated, but kind of like manipulated into being 
become like a, a facade. Like people just want to like throw it around for the fun of it, honestly. And I think that's where people kind of get their claim to flame or what do they call it? Uh, clout? Clout. Yeah, clout. Yeah. But again, I, I do believe it is important because at some point you do have to keep people accountable, even if it's not. I do recognize that we can't always keep people um, accountable at like the highest and most powerful levels. However, if we can keep them accountable socially, like I'm never going to listen to your music again, or I'm just not going to engage with you at any point. I think that is important too. And kind of just also getting out, even if the person doesn't get canceled, which often doesn't happen, letting people know that these people have qualm, like these people have like horrible things about them that you should keep like in the back of your burner, you know, or like, okay, first one's come to my head is Justin Trudeau. We know he's a, he's the prime minister he you know and even when he came up with blackface and then a week later he went to like the black lives matter protest and kneeled down like nobody canceled him nobody cared after that they were just like oh yeah he's fine he he knelt down at one black lives matter protest and his black faces for the decades have gone you know so i feel like it's ineffective but again it does make you allow, allow you to see that like these people are not the perfect beings that they like to portray themselves to be yeah like justin you know he has his ways about him and he was idolized as like prime minister and had all these like beautiful benefits but now people were able to realize that maybe in terms of like race and in terms of diversity he's not the best because he's had like history of that and it keeps you in mind so maybe like next time there's an election you're like i'm not gonna vote that way because i don't think you have my best interest it doesn't mean he's not gonna ever be able to run again but it means that he is disadvantaged Mm -hmm. yeah i mean justin trudeau is also a good example because you're right i forgot about the blackface like that was I think the fact that you forgot speaks to (laughs) the almost to what some would say the non-existence of cancel cancel culture. And I think like there was an article that I was reading and the author was, was basically saying that it's really not up to the average citizen. Yes, it, it is a mobilization of our agency, which is beautiful, but it's up to the institutions and the corporations and organizations. They determine who is canceled. They determine if you are worth saving, if you are redeemable. And I have no stake in what Walmart, who Walmart decides they're going to give their contracts to. If Walmart thinks you're redeemable, well, you will, you will be. If the state thinks you're redeemable, you will be. And also keeping in mind that the people like who's in charge of the state, <laughs> these are like their best friends if not them you know so how would the state keep itself accountable like you know like how would you keep your best friend who you do the exact same thing with <laughs> like keep how would you keep that accountable and already we know the criminal justice system and like the political system and all these institutions are very corrupt and naturally anti-black like they were made these ways not naturally they were made and constructed to be anti-black so like how would you expect like a judge who was instilled about all these things about anti-blackness come to the forefront in the House of Commons and be like, yeah, I think that oh, we do have a problem with systemic racism in Canada. How can, like, we can't, they can't keep themselves accountable. And that's the same reason, personally, I think that they have a hard time, like, coming into accountability with things like the residential schools and actually coming up with a full apology for that because keeping themselves accountable, like, Justin Trudeau said, like, the Pope needs to apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the point about um, that Beverly made about who is redeemable and who isn't is a is a really important one as well because you're right. Some people are given opportunity to to stay in their position, to make a statement, and then to move on with their lives, while others are torn apart socially, politically, whatever else it is. And how do those? I don't think I've seen too much discussion on that piece necessarily. Cancel culture and that power dynamic that is like inherently institutions that allow specific people to be protected versus others who are not at all. I mean, I think we touched on this too, which is good because the conversation is kind of going naturally, but 
my third question was whether cancel culture has become too co-opted in modern discourse about social justice. Unfortunately, when things get such a negative connotation, people are naturally like withdrawn from that. So cancel culture in itself has gotten such a negative connotation. It's been like jumped on by certain political forces or people who are saying we need to cancel cancel culture. Has cancel culture lost some of its meaning and some of its effect? What do you think, Beverly? Yeah, I think we've definitely seen it be become co-opted. And I think you'll you'll be touching on this and some of that history. And it kind of emerged out of Black and queer communities as like, we, we've always known terms of like dragging or reading or calling out, things like that. And when it turned into the, the idea of canceling, that was still related to, to some extent, like community ties of calling each other out on actions. And I think at some point, journalists kind of picked up on this and it kind of spun and spun and spun. And it just became too easy for especially right-wing pundits to kind of latch onto this idea and see it as an infringement of freedom of speech, as censorship, as silencing, all that kind of stuff, as an attack on conservative ideology. And so people, in thinking that it's an attack, they transform it into something else, something that they need it to be so that they have a reason to fight the idea of cancel. But like we, we've already discussed earlier, like there isn't really, there isn't really like a tangible aftermath to, to the canceling, at least for the major players who have committed wrongs. And so I do think there's definitely a co-opting and a misunderstanding of where its origins lie and how it was intended to be enacted versus what it is now, which is just kind of like a common phrase with a negative connotation for people to be like, oh man, SJWs are canceling so-and-so again. How could they do this? Blah, 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 blah. It is something that makes me a bit nervous, especially now with the conversation. I mean, more, more in the U.S. about um, they want to cancel critical race theory education in, in schools, which is an absurd idea, but it's this like theory that they've all latched onto of critical race theory being bad. And, and now states don't are banning it and people don't want to teach critical race theory, even though I think uh, very few people would say that they are like critical race scholars or could even say that they really understand that. But it's just this, and, and perhaps it is just very political, but it's latching onto something ent- entirely changing the connotation and then making it so negative that it, it loses a bit of its, of its effect. And definitely drawing off of what Bev- Beverly said about it being like birthed by like um, a lot of the Black queer community. The purpose of cancel culture was to like keep these communities safe and keep these communities harms out of their way, right? And I feel like it's really in a certain way, especially I think Twitter personally was like one of those places where it had its time to like manifest into something it wasn't. I feel like a lot of these com- these communities use cancel culture and still do as like a safety net for like they're just like their day to day life. Like we are we can't have this person around because they're harmful for our community. But I think it's become like such a commodified way where like mm-hmm. People Magazine are posting <laughs> like, oh, are we canceling leggings this year? Like that's not a, what cancel culture is about, you know. And I feel like that's where we lose our meaning. Like when people not not read the definition, but don't understand where the roots of things come from or the origins of things, we often lose the direct meaning of like, and the importance of cancel culture. Like the reason that like 
there are so much inclusionary and safe spaces now are honestly because of cancel culture. You canceled certain people out of your, your spaces. You like told people that they're not welcomed anymore. Even the Me Too movement, like canceling certain individuals. But now, like, I think once it got into the hands of, I just want to say mainstream society. I'm going to use that because it's a nice word. <laughs> mainstream society. It's become this, like, honestly, such a commodified and gentrified way of expressing any form of, like, indifference. <laughs> or, like, I don't accept you for what you are. In every way, like, you see it in magazines. You see it at, like, even on the interpersonal level with friends. Canceling, like, oh, we don't use, like, I've actually had friends don't, like, cancel out certain like language you know like colonial language i canceled like colonial i speak english <laughs> um colonial language like uh i don't want to speak french i choose not to like i can but i choose not to like that's something i cancel from my own import like my personal beliefs but people canceling oh we don't wear these clothes or we don't support this brand but we still support zara who uses child you know like who uses child labor to make clothes like i feel like it's a lot of the times like made up new versions of cancel culture Yeah. And the spirit of cancel culture, which to everyone's point is rooted in, in addressing a power, a historical power imbalance in which communities that have been marginalized, discriminated against are able to hold people accountable. And that in itself is not something that I think anybody wants to go away because it is such an important and necessary part of uh, progress and social justice. Although we may not like, or want to use the terms, the spirit of of what it's about is still super important, especially to to marginalized groups. And I think we talked about this last question as well. So maybe curious to hear ways that maybe I'll just alter the question at first, but it's can someone recover and be redeemed from being formally canceled? And how how do people redeem themselves? It's a big question. It's a million dollar question. I don't have the definite answer, but one suggestion could be that the people who have canceled them or who's who's being in harm's way decide if it's redeemable but personally in my own personal opinion i think like if you got canceled you should be canceled for a reason i don't think that you cannot change definitely think people have uh, rehabilitation as possible however i don't think that maybe you hold the same rank in that that space or maybe that you you can be redeemed and you can be proven to be a better person however you can't neg- negate the harm that you've done. So one example, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave this one, one example, but like, you know, that example where um, a lot of like young white children will say the N word when they're younger and then they get older and they're like, Oh, I'm not a change. I'm like, we, we forgive you. You're not canceled anymore. However, you never think about the harm that's and the continuous harm that's being done to the, those black children. You know, we never, we never stop and say, Hey, how do those kids feel? How were those children impacted? We're always like, okay, but they changed, you know? So I feel like, even though like you can change, you still have done harm and you can't like ignore that fact. And maybe if the community thinks that you deserve some forgiveness, okay, but I don't, we should forget. Like at the end of the day, like you were 13, you know what you said. <laughs> you like, the word was, you weren't supposed to say the word, you know? One, I want to give a shout out to the professor whose article I was reading earlier today, um, Professor Hervé Saint-Louis, who is at University of Quebec. And he wrote about the third party element in like cancellation. So the, the party, the aspect of like the corporations and organizations who actually are the ones who influence whether the person is canceled. And I think that that gets at the root of your question, because although I have the agency as an individual to not shop at XYZ store or not watch Kevin Hart's movie, like I'm not Netflix. If Netflix is going to sign him a deal, then that's what they're going to do. So I really have no say in whether or not someone is redeemable. It's powers beyond me. 
But I think that that also speaks to the social hierarchy that we live in, because if the average Luke and Harry is doxxed, and I don't support doxing, and I don't think that it's a necessary part of cancel culture, but people who misuse it. So anyways, I think when people are doxing someone who's done something and they get fired, blah, 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 like they have different consequences than what like Kevin Hart has experienced or what there was a comedian who was like masturbating in front of women. Like I forget what his name is, but Louis C.K. Yeah, Louis C.K. And he, he was still like doing shows and whatever. Like there's yeah. different consequences based on your social position. Are you redeemable? I have no say in whether or not you're redeemable. It's the system's beyond me. At the same time though, there is like a back and forth. And even between like Kevin Hart example or our average Joe, maybe like said a racist thing at work, blah, blah, blah. Like there is a level of protection, even for that average, average Joe. Let's say they're doxxed on the internet. They lost their job. I'm sure that a more politically aligned organization will find that person and give them a new job. So mm-hmm. there is always that level of protection because the way that cancel culture has been framed, it's like, it's combating. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, they've taken you out. Well, now we're going to protect you. Welcome into our brigade. And like, that's like the fourth party. Like you said, the third party, this is like the fourth party that, <laughs> but that like, not the devil's advocate group, but the group that's always there to like catch those who have fallen. Like, exactly. and those, and I think those institutions and organizations also need to be not, uh, not docs, um, to be canceled at some point too, because how are you supporting them? Walmart should have been canceled forever, but you know, it's Walmart, but like all these organizations who are like, or all these individuals who are like picking out the pieces, like I, okay. Bill Cosby went to jail for all of his levels of sexual assault. And then that same woman, the wife in the show, Rashida, uh, Rashida, she's literally, as soon as he got released, was like, Oh my God, like, thank God justice has been served. And I'm like, how you can't, you cannot say that you, you know, it like, you know, like there's always somebody to pick up these people pieces at the end, but like these pieces don't deserve to be picked up. Like let them go in the wind, you know, mm-hmm. but a lot of our Kelly fans out there, um, a lot of people who would yeah. deny what he's been convicted for. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing happened with, um, Bill Cosby, a lot of people denied what he was convicted for and a lot of people still support him. And so I I think if anything, I'm more leading towards it really doesn't exist, at least not in the way that it's framed. I am all for cancel culture, accountability culture. I'm all for calling people out and calling people in. I think that also that part of like, it's very easy to jump on someone and say, you've done something wrong, but it's not so many other people who are like, let me, if if there are people, but I don't see it as much who are saying, let me tell you why this was wrong and how you can apologize. You can make up and, and, uh, and hopefully be redeemed, whatever that looks like. Unfortunately, I feel like there is a lot of the first part of like calling them out, but not so much calling in. I think some people are definitely trying to do that work. I also haven't seen people who've been canceled redeem themselves in like the most in the best way it would be really nice to see people who are like i mean let's use jk rowling for example for her transphobic comments a lot of people called her out she had an opportunity to like learn understand have conversations with people who she hurt and then turn around and say okay i've learned from my mistake i apologize these are ways that i'm working on on making it better, um, fixing myself, but also making the my relationship better with this community. And she did not, she doubled down and was like, no. And she is protected in many ways because she's like a billionaire many times over. She's protected. She has people who will still give her 
work to do and, and sponsorships and opportunities, not that she needs it. And these are people who have also piled on and said, yeah, you see, this is exactly why censorship is bad. We should be able to say what we want. So there's another community who's completely been able to embrace her. I have not seen anyone who's been canceled really intentionally redeem themselves. And I don't know what that looks like, but I just haven't seen it. In the J.K. Rowling's example, too, the publisher actually banned its staff from boycotting Rowling. So, like, there are so many levels of protection her. And I think that aspect of calling in, when we think about systems of care tied to, like, transformative justice, there is the true capacity to recognize harm and work towards changing how we relate to each other and, and, like, coming into a relationship that is meaningful and is like truly understanding of remorse and all these things. But what we are seeing on the outside, people who are canceled, they aren't actually interested in being redeemed. And that's why they're so easily like pulled into this, like you're saying, the fourth party who gives that layer of protection and their fan base does change. So maybe Kevin Hart's fan base isn't the one he once had, but he is now more supported by people who are anti uh, cancel culture and all this stuff because they're like, oh, now we have to support him because man, those SAWs are blah, 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 blah. And so there isn't any interest in really, like really digging into the, I'm sorry. And here's how I want to do the healing. Here's how I want to show up better. And I think if more people actually took that into consideration, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be as like, I don't know, in the situation that we are now. I think a lot of people are like, the only reason they like perform their apologies is because of like the consequences of cancel culture. And I think that's like simply it. Like, I feel like if you wanted to be like anti-racist, if you wanted to be like anti-homophobic or like make these movements be anti-oppressive anyway, you would have made those movements within yourself. You wouldn't, you shouldn't have to be pushed by like a dozens of like trollers on Twitter or you shouldn't, or you shouldn't have to be pushed by like you possibly losing your job. Like that means that those people inherently did not care what they said before and they said it with their chest, you know? So I think like cancel culture is, can, is very important and can, and more than convenient but when we have all these additional factors at play and all these additional people with so much power it really does it more of an injustice than it does the justice because now we're looking at cancel culture in like from a from a perspective that one is not exactly what it's supposed to be but also like we're taking all these other co-opted like versions of cancel culture and we don't have an understanding of an authentic like not cancel like um of how to like make somebody accountable for their actions right now everybody's just like as soon as they have like a racist video put on online, they just go like before they get fired, delete all their Instagrams, delete all their LinkedIn, yeah. make everything private, and then like apologize at work. But like that's there's a process to it, you know? There's a process to being redeemed from cancel culture. And that's like the problem already. Like the like cancel culture, there's no like a backbone, there's no structure to it at the now. <laughs> and like it's causing like people just to like be able to like weave through it. Like just get be redeemed. Like Kevin Hart, oh yeah, I put a five-second apology. Or, like, all the celebrities who put on, like, a paragraph on the Instagram story and say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, forgive me now. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my God, they did this so much work. They tried. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, <laughs> like, that's not the point. Like, if you can be redeemed so easily in cancel culture, what is the point of canceling them? Like, we should have just left them there and let them say sorry. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> and it always, it's always, like, that PR, like, that script. Like, I'm sorry for what I said. And I'm sorry to the community that I've hurt. 
I will do better. I'm going to take tears, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take time to learn what I did. But then, yeah, what comes out of that? We don't really see. They just kind of show up again in a few months when things have died down and they're like, hey, I'm back. I love to learn more about council culture, like the positive like outcomes of it, especially for the communities who started it. I feel like I know all about council culture, what it, but not as much as it does when it pertains to like queer, trans, and Black individuals. Like, I don't see as how, how beneficial it has been for them. You know, I feel like it's been beneficial for a lot of celebrity white women who have been like sexually assaulted or sexually abused or people who... I don't know how to say this. Like, you know, the most palatable victim, you know, the people, the victim, the the perfect victim, that's what they call them. But queer communities are still facing all these like unprecedented high rates of violence and nobody's held accountable, even though they know who it is, usually most of the time. Or they'll call out a certain individual for being harmful and like never hear about it. So I kind of want to know like how beneficial cancel culture is actually for the people who birthday you know like is it actually doing what it's supposed to be doing or is it are we only operating off like a co-opted version of cancel culture well i don't know if if this is really answering your question but i do think marginalized communities are very much affected by cancel culture in our like our everyday lives and and we we have greater consequence at the hand of it and even when we think about maybe where it started from i think there's like levels of community And when something is operating at the grand structural level, it's, it's never going to, it's never going to function in the way that maybe it was intended. And so internal aspects of community call, call out and call-ins, I think those are and continue to be effective because I've seen on, on Twitter where like someone has committed some harm, they've been called in for a transformative justice process and they're off social media for like months up to a year and they have a, a, a team that is working with them to working with them and the the victim to like restore or to to change the relation and, and understand the, the weight of the action but that's not something that is going to happen at like a whole all of Canada is not going to be engaging in a transformative justice discussion together and so cancel culture has risen to this level where it's just kind of beyond our our hands And I think it's become so politicized and so like good versus bad kind of thing that marginalized communities end up always being on the receiving end of of the consequences, even when people who are anti-cancel culture talk about it. I'm thinking about it. No, give me a second. I just need to like digest it in my brain. But Mm -hmm. I would love to sit in on some of those conversations, like just to, to hear about the process, to learn about it to see what that looks like, that restorative, transformative justice? They're not one session, but, like, I sat on two, and, like, I think, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're they're important to see. Like, honestly, I feel like people don't know what they don't know, and that gives people opportunity to, like, actually understand the whole point of calling in. Like, a lot of people, like, just off the bat, because cancel culture is so abrupt, and they're just, like, you're canceled right now, like, not going to hear about it. No, we don't get a lot of the time for, like, the community education or, like, the transformative justice as it is. And I feel like that is really a, a monumental point of uh, transformative cancel culture. Maybe we should be advertising that a little bit more <laughs> and seeing how people do change and how people like um, become more accountable and better individuals. Because like, again, though, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> that happens in like very few cases. Like people don't, aren't as privileged or lucky to have like opportunities where they get to learn like that at that level. But like having those moments or like teaching people how to like educate people in like a transformative way, maybe like an addition to making 
cancel culture more beneficial and like ensuring re- redemption you know like you got to do the the time you got to do your reading you got to you got to do your own interpersonal like reflection in order to be redeemed because if you can't like what's the point like you can just send your again your twitter or your paragraph on instagram and just say i'm sorry but you haven't actually done the work so that's actually a good point though I also wonder if this is causing me to reflect on um, a TED talk that I listened to ages ago about what does it feel like to be wrong? It doesn't actually feel like anything. We uh, we process being wrong with being bad. But when you're wrong, it doesn't actually, like there's no physiological feeling behind it. It reminds me of just the fact as humans, we don't like to be uncomfortable. That's also a reason why, unfortunately, when it comes to like social justice, so many people kind of lean back and don't want to necessarily engage because they don't want to be uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is an important part of learning and an important part of awareness and understanding. And cancel culture makes people uncomfortable. And so they don't necessarily want to be canceled. They don't want to feel uncomfortable. They don't want to have to sit in those feelings and sit in that, in those emotions. But yeah, I think we all need to be a little bit more uncomfortable. So thank you, Jade. Thank you, Beverly. I don't have any other questions, but I think we've had a really rich conversation on this. Really appreciate the conversation in terms of, of where we've gone with redemption, accountability, and and what this topic is in a, in a larger sense. So after listening to everything, what do you think? Do we need to redefine or rename cancel culture to something else? Lots of people refer to calling people in instead of calling them out or canceling cancel culture and instead using something like accountability culture. Whatever you call it, it isn't going anywhere. We as a society will always be calling out and calling in for perceived transgressions. But if we want to change hearts and minds, at the end of the day, is canceling someone the best way to do this? Today's episode was researched by Beverly Osuzua. Jade Sullivan manages our social media. My name is Nuri Yunus. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.